Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. This note of mine has grown since our exploration of this theme called Grace to Help. Right? And it's grown specifically a lot this week. I'm just amazed at how God's Word is so pregnant and full of stuff that if we simply take the time to dig, we will find out. God doesn't give the gems to the casual inquirer. You have to dig deep to discover the gems of God's Word. Right? So it's the privilege of God to hide a matter, Proverbs 25 says, but it's the prerogative of kings to everyone say search. So when you read the scriptures, you adopt a scuba, scuba diver mentality. Some people contend to swim on the surface of the water, but we want to probe deeper and go, go deep. You want to plumb the depths, and the best gems of God's Word are found deep inside of God. It doesn't just make it available to anyone. If you don't have the searching, inquiring mind, you will not access it. So an elementary thing like help is loaded and pregnant with certain principles in God's Word, that if you simply take the time to discover, you'll see, wow, I always knew that God is my helper. I always knew that help does come from the, from the Lord. But this is an essential quality about Him as a person. Right? And Hebrews 4 speaks about coming to the throne of grace to do two things, obtain mercy and find grace. You receive mercy, but you find grace. If something is to be found, it means it must be searched out, right? So you obtain mercy, but you find grace to help. So we've been saying in the scripture, there's something called grace to help. Say grace to help, right? So there's something called grace to help, and it's most operative in a season called time of need. So grace to help in time of need. I've been saying to you, time of need there is the Greek eukairos, the root word is kairos, so it's an opportune time, pregnant with preordained events that must take place in your life. Listen to me very carefully. Everyone say kairos. A kairos is different to chronos because kairos is an, say, opportune time. This is this, this compartment of time called kairos within the midst of chronology or chronos. Kairos is translated in English as the word time in certain portions in the Bible, but it's not, it's not chronos as in other places. So it's very important to you to, when you're studying the word and you read something, you come across the word time in a scripture, you must know whether it's chronos or kairos, right? I plan to do a session one of the Sundays when I want to I demonstrate to you how I study the Bible, what resources I use, okay? It's going to happen fairly soon. It'll be a digital presentation, right? So that you can know what's available to you, how to make Bible study interesting and easy, okay? And how, for example, to access very quickly information like this. Is it Kronos? Is it Kairos? Or remind me what does Kairos mean? Where to go, right? What to do? It makes it very, very easy. I remember the days way back when I was a a newly married, and I would sit on my desk, and with tons, remember, tons of concordances, and Greek dictionaries, and there was vines, there was uh, strongs, there was various versions of the Bible, all scattered all over my desk, and you're sitting with a little pen and paper. Now it's at the tip, the touch of a button. Everything I had on my desk, I have in this device right now. If I go, I have this information readily on hand, Okay. We must make, we must, we must um, access the technology available to us and use it wisely for the glory of the Lord. So then, say kairos. You'll discover that kairos is most often defined by Greek scholars as an opportune time. It's time with opportunity. It's time in which, listen carefully what they say, 
certain preordained events have got to occur within that time frame. If grace to help occurs in time of need, and the Greek word for time of need is eukaros, the root kairos, it means my need time could be my most opportune time in which certain preordained events for my life have, will definitely take place. It means that need time is not a negative time necessarily. It means need time or time of need doesn't, it could be a crisis, but crisis is the context for the most powerful expressions of Christ to be, to be unearthed and matured. You will never grow more than you will grow in crisis. You will never grow more than you will grow in times of need. You will never grow more than you will grow when you suffer. You grow most when things are going bad. You develop muscle, you develop strength. Right? Those times are golden opportunities for certain things to be affected in your life in a very profound way. Now, everyone say grace to help. Grace is the essence of God, the compositional makeup of God as a spirit being. Not so? Right? I said to you that essence has effects. When it comes to you, certain outcomes. One of the outcomes of grace is help. That grace is designed to help you. It's called grace to help in times of, of need or David would say times of distress. Or you would say in Psalm 121, uh, time of trouble. Things like anguish, distress, time of trouble, New Testament, time of need, are all the contexts in which help is most, grace to help, can be most powerfully um, operational within our lives. So everyone say, help is available. Help is available. I said to you, for example, in Psalm 46 verse 1, um, God is our refuge and our strength. Uh, are ready, ready to help in times of trouble. I'm quoting from the NLT. NASB says a very present help. He's not an absent help. He is. He's present help. Okay, he's a present help in the time of trouble. And I, I explained to you the word present there is abundantly available. Powerfully available. In that means the meaning in the Hebrew. Powerfully available to help within the context of trouble. You can know God as refuge and strength in trouble. You will never know Him as refuge and, trip and, and, and strength if you do not have trouble. The trouble is designed to unearth certain aspects of His nature to you. So if you don't have the trouble, you will never know the aspect of God in terms of those, of those dynamics. Okay? So if you're never sick, you will never experience God as a healer. You might know it theologically, so you might know it cognitively, but you will never be able to experience subjectively. If you are never intensely hurt, emotionally distraught, you will never know the capacity of the counselor, the consoler, the comforter. You will never know him as a balm, a soother. That dynamic will be foreign to you. Okay? If you are never in, in need of... Um, help for advice for example he needed wise advice and counsel in a matter jehovah rohi will be foreign to you jehovah rohi is the lord my shepherd david said the lord is my shepherd i shall not want so the shepherding dynamic of god how will that ever be known to you if god does not permit you to be in a context where you feel i don't know the way out i'm the sheep I need a guiding factor called shepherd to lead me out of this one. That aspect will be foreign to you. So tell your neighbor, thank God for your trouble. You want to tell someone, thank God for your trouble. <laughs> thank God for your distress. Yeah? Because that context is a eukairos. It's a time of need in which certain, listen carefully, you know when I review my life in God, I look back over the years, the most profound expressions of growth, in fact, the most critical decisions taken that have shaped my life to the point where I am now occurred in times of great, great vexation, great trial, great struggle, great suffering. 
it was an opportune time for God to sort of bring me to the place where we are now. And when I look back, help was abundantly available. God is not, does not just give help, He is help. I've said this to you. So tell your neighbor, when trouble is perfected, repeat, some, repeat this to someone, when trouble is perfected, so will you. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm dying to speak on suffering. The Lord hasn't released me yet. You know why? There's a whole series I have started to develop on suffering because, listen carefully, suffering is the context to be matured in the grace of God. You want to access grace, embrace suffering. Right? You want to access grace, embrace suffering. Main verse there is 1 Peter 5.10, but we won't go there now. Just quickly, I found this verse in Job 5.19, and I want to read it. Let me get out of the way of the screen here. Job 5.19, what did Job say? And I just want to read this just to encourage you before I go on. Uh, well, this is Eliphaz. Eliphaz is counseling his friend Job, and he He says to Job, from six troubles he will deliver you, and even in seven, evil will not touch you. How's that, right? Tell you, in six troubles he will deliver you. Right? And seven speaks of perfection. So even watch, six speaks of man, not so? Man was made on on the sixth day. So when trouble is designed by God to perfect your manhood, your humanity, brings it to maturity. And even when it reaches its perfect strength, its most um, intense level, where it can't get hotter enough, it is perfect, it is seven, even at that point it will not destroy you. It will not destroy you. Let me just read up until, just quickly, verse 27, because he mentions types of trouble that will not touch Job. Right? Now, as a matter of faith, I want to encourage you, repeat this after me. Say, from six troubles, God will deliver me. And even in seven, evil will not touch me. You must believe that, brethren must believe that, right? You must believe that. You must have faith to believe that. And he says, for example, in famine, say famine. He will redeem you from death. Say in war, from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from, say, the scourge of the tongue. Who has been experiencing that lately? People speaking about you, maligning you, scandalizing you. Help is on the way for that. And you will not be afraid of violence when it comes. Say violence. Verse 22. You will laugh at violence and famine. And you will not be afraid of wild beasts. Say wild beasts. Wild beasts metaphorically are demonic hosts. Powers and principalities. Verse 23. You will be in league with the stones of the field. I like that. You know what that suggests? Creation will respond and protect you. Remember the woman that gave birth to the man-child in Revelation? It says the earth helped her. Right? The earth helped her. The stones are now in league with me. Respect the image and the likeness of God in the Son of God. Picture, when you live on this earth, every aspect of creation right now is designed to support God's will for you and in you. Okay? Nothing shall harm you. I was chuckling when Dr. Segi at the POA said to us uh, that the aspect, one aspect of righteousness is to eat rightly. <laughs> and don't eat the wrong stuff and expect to live long, he said. You can't pray for someone for healing. Let's have their diabetes. And they walk out there and eat every single cake they see their eye. Set their eye on, right? We're praying here for divine healing. Your unrighteous lifestyle in terms of bringing um, a rectitude to your eating habits you're working against the very, you're working against the, the, the very principle. So I chuckled to him after the meeting because we had a whole lot of snacks available after POA that people took as they left. We overcated big time. Right? So there was some white bread there. <laughs> He's against white bread because of the dye and bleach they use in the, 
a flower, etc., to make it white, in case you didn't know. <laughs> there goes your white bread. <laughs> so I was really hungry after period. I didn't eat right through from the morning. So I went and I took one. So I said, Dr. Segi, the scripture also says, I was talking with him, I said, uh, if we eat or drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm us. <laughs> so my faith, for this, for this slice of bread, my faith is there right now. But I want to encourage you. This is like the, you'll be in league with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field. will be at, at peace with you. Next verse. You will know that your tent is secure, your dwelling, your household. Your tent is your family. Your family is secure. And you will visit your abode and fear no loss. I like that. Tell someone fear no loss. Right? That's why when we give, we give without the fear of loss. Right? We give without the fear of loss. This needs to be... Okay, I got it. Next verse, 25. You will know, also know that your descendants will be many. Hallelujah. That's both natural and spiritual sonship. And your offsprings as the grass of the earth. You will come to the grave in full vigor. There's a promise. When I die, I'm going to die in full vigor. Tell, repeat this after me. When I die, I will die in full vigor. You know how Moses died? Moses died how old he was? 120. The Bible says he still had full strength. And his eyes did not grow dim. Okay? You must trust God to die in that manner. Like the stacking of grain in its season. Right? You know what this also implies? That at the end of your life, you will not die a pauper. Because associated with your death is a great level of harvest. So when I determine when I die, I'm not leaving my children with debt. My debt. There mustn't be stressing of how we're going to pay this and how we're going to pay that. Come to the grave in full vigor and around my death will be like the stacking of grain in its season. You know what? You must sit there and, and the moment you see verses like this, you must say, yes, that's mine. I grab it. I have it. Lord, I'm going to believe it for my heart. Yeah? You must associate and assimilate the word very, very, very quickly. Okay? And then it goes on and on. Now, I just thought I would read that scripture as a word of encouragement to you. From six troubles, you will be delivered. And even in seven, it will not touch you. Right? It will not touch you. Okay? It's not that you will be trouble-free because the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Don't make the mistake that because someone is suffering so much, something is seriously wrong with their spirituality. Times that is the case, but most often, some of the most saintly saints have some of the most greatest struggles permitted by God to accomplish a very specific aspect of His purpose within their, within their lives. The righteous man falls down seven times, it says. He's righteous. Falls down seven times, but he rises up every time. Many are the afflictions of a righteous man, but out of them all, the Lord surely does deliver him. Amen. I then, I want to, I try to make this study and I want to email this to you in the next two weeks. I try to make it as systematic as I could because of my teaching mind. I began to discuss with you then, what are some prerequisites to access this help that we so desperately need? I'm going to run through it. Number one, have a revelation of the person of God as help. Now, I've discussed this with you. So I don't want to go there um, now to the details. God's person is help. Help doesn't just not come from Him. He is it. He is a very present help in the time of trouble. Yes, Psalm 121 says, It comes, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where question, where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. But it, because it can only come from Him because He is it. I pray that the eyes of your understanding understand your Father as help personified. He is, say this after me, He is help personified. Right? And what did He do? What's he, what, are, what are His credentials? 
maker of heaven, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Such a CV. What a CV. What eligibility. What, what credentials to help me in my small circumstance. He who seeks to help you literally made everything. So what is your small little problem in the light of all that he wants to do? Help comes from the, from the Lord. Okay? Um, he is help. Then I, I, I encouraged you. He's a very present help. Then last week I reminded you he gives marvelous help. Everyone say marvelous help. That he gave Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 26. Right? Marvelous help. In other words, the Greek word pala, Hebrew word pala means wonderful, extraordinary, or humanistically difficult. He helps you marvelously, wonderfully, in an extraordinary fashion with something which is humanistically impossible or, or difficult to do. Then, just quickly, I want to focus on a second requirement was the help that you need will be facilitated by and administrated through the person of the Holy Ghost. Because in Scripture, He is regarded as the, the helper. And we did a whole session on this. But like I said to you on the church WhatsApp group, I was forcefully awoken, I think it was Friday, at 1 o'clock, Saturday morning at 1 o'clock, and really burdened by the church. And I heard the Lord distinctly say to me, they want help, but they grieve me. They want help, but they quench me. The person of the Holy Ghost is the helper. So you must not by your action or your attitude grieve or quench. Two distinct uh, verbs used in reference to the Holy Ghost in a negative way of how a son of God can limit the operation of the person of the Holy Ghost when you grieve him and when you quench him. God, please listen to me very carefully. That's why on the message I was so strong. God spoke very forcefully to me. And I personally had to repent. Say, God, forgive me if in any way I'm grieving your spirit or quenching, or quenching your spirit. And time will not permit to go through the details. Please listen to last week's message, which will be up on the website this week. I, I want to encourage you. I've known the help of God. I've known the help of, of the Holy Ghost. And I said to him, when he woke me up, he said, your people want help, but they're grieving the very person that's designed to bring help. And I want to remind you, for fear that I gloss over this and not treat it with the severity that God demands that it be taught. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. Right? Ephesians 4, verse 25. I want to remind you the Holy Ghost is a person. He's not an abstract force. He's a person with a mind. He's a person with a will. He's a person with emotions. He thinks, he makes decisions, and he feels. He's the very essence of divinity. He's the so-called third person in deity. He's as much God as Jesus is, as much God as the Father is, is critically important. In fact, Jesus said, I have to go away so that He comes right now in this dispensation and we're living on the earth. He is the interface, if you would, between sons of God and anything divine up there in the unseen world. Without Him, we can accomplish a lot. We can accomplish very little, very quickly. I want to encourage you Respect the Holy Ghost. Tell someone, respect the Spirit. I've become so passionate about Him recently. I don't want to do anything where I grieve Him. We're going to read the text now. Do not grieve the Holy Ghost. It is smack bang in the middle of a whole lot of other commands. Things which grieve Him. And you know, the, 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 the Greek word for grieve is lupio, which means to afflict or to make sorrowful. It's an un Thinkable thought that I can make the Holy Ghost sad. It's an unthinkable thought that I can make the Holy Ghost sorrowful. You know when you are sorrowful, 
or sad, it's, it severely impacts your effectiveness of function in a particular area. Not so. But when you are upbeat, joyful, happy, it elevates your responses and your effectiveness in a particular matter. So what things then grieve the Holy Ghost? I'm going to rush through this uh, because I feel that some of us heard it, but we're not doing it. Because then why else would the Holy Ghost say this to me? It was, you know, it, these things rarely happened to me. But I could not then sleep afterwards. I think I only slept about 4 a.m. that day, right? Early Saturday. Listen carefully. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak the truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another, right? So one of the things that definitely grieves the Spirit is lies, lies. And I encourage you, stop lying, stop telling lies, stop misrepresenting facts, right? Stop covering up, stop cloaking, be candidly and brutally honest, if a thing is a thing, it's a thing. Don't make this that. And don't make it less when it's more. Don't make it more when it's less. Just be candid. Be honest. Be sincere. Don't cover up at any level. I say this to you by the Lord. The moment you do that, guess the Holy Ghost who is in you, what are you doing to Him? <gasps> Sad. I'm here to help you. Let me just Joyce. I'm here to, he's saying, Joyce, Joyce, I'm here to help you. But you've just saddened my operation. You've quelched. You've just reduced my effective potential within your life to, to nothing. Okay? Don't grieve the Spirit. Paul would have no reason to say that if this is a reality. He did say it, okay? So Randolph, I must, must watch yourself. Every time I lie, every time I misrepresent facts, every time I try to uh, uh, not honest about the true situation about a matter i grieve the holy ghost but truth must be my plumb line speaking the truth being honest being a person of integrity must be core to my being and we are members of one another look at the next verse be angry and do not sin do not let the sun go down upon your anger another thing that will violate and grieve the holy ghost is anger right how many of us struggle with this? We fly off the handle. Right? Some of us throw the handle. Unhinge the door. There's no more door after you're angry. Right? One of the qualifications for eldership, a leader in the house of God, he must not be soon angered. The Bible says he must not be a brawler. An elder must be gentle, must be sensitive. Right? Must be a loving man must not be contentious. And then the next verse says, Do not give the devil an opportunity. I've discussed this verse with you. A foothold from which he gains further ground. Topos. Verse 28. He who steals must steal, steal no longer, but he must labor performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with him who has a need. So, the next thing that can grieve the Holy Ghost is theft. Do not steal. Do not, steal, do not steal time at your work for your own personal affairs if you haven't got permission from your employer, for example. You're stealing time. Do not use company resources for your own private uh, endeavors if you've not got permission to do that. If you don't deem that your boss will be okay with that. Uh, tithe, because non-tithing is a theft position. Wherein have you robbed me, declares the Lord in? Tithes and in offerings. He who does not tithe is a thief. Right? right? Now watch. It's not just don't steal. Paul says don't steal, but work with your hands what is good so that you will have something to share with the one who is in need. It's not just don't steal. Watch. It is two things. It is theft accompanied by a stingy spirit, a withholding spirit. So Paul says... Don't just not steal. Yes, don't steal, but work so that when you get stuff, before you took, 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 took unlawfully, but now you're working with your hands and you got something, and now what's going to happen? You're going to give, 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 give. Before you, you extracted to you, but now you're going to give off from you. Okay? Right? So, and these things 
Help us not to grieve the Holy Ghost. Then, uh, look at the next verse. Very serious, the next one. Let no foul, putrid, the word Greek word for unwholesome here means smelling. Foul, putrid, foul word emit from your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give what? Grace to the hearers. When you speak, make sure grace is flowing. Say it again. This is, we're trying to do things not to offend the Holy Ghost. On the one hand, we cry out, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. But in your lounge, you're scandling about every person under the heavens. And guess what? You just grieved the very element, the very person that's designed to bring you the help. Not going to work. Not going to work. You can sing a nice song here. My help, my help, my help. But you go out there and foul words proceed out of your mouth. Guess what? No help for you. Because you're grieving the person of the Holy Ghost designed to bring you the help. Tell your neighbor, no more foul speech. No more. I don't know what, you know, I can't tell you how the Lord is feeling about this now. He is getting intolerant of some of your disobedience in this particular respect. He's saying enough is enough. How much more Randolph will you keep reminding your people about the same thing over and over again, yet they go their way and they still say, I cast your words behind my back. As in the book of Jeremiah. I want to encourage you. No more unwholesome speech. If when you speak, grace does not flow. Don't speak at all. You would rather have a dry lunch. When you talk about a dry lunch, you're only eating and not speaking. If you have nothing else to say but to scandalize someone, you'd rather not talk and just eat. And go and leave the lunch and receive help from God. Rather than to talk negatively, cry for help, but you've grieved the very Holy Ghost designed to bring you the help. Yeah? So I think that was very important. Verse 30. Do not grieve. Now watch. This, this command is smack bang in the middle of all of these little things. Do not Make the Holy Ghost sad. Do not afflict, is the Greek. Do not afflict the Holy Ghost. Lupoyo, do not bring sorrow to the Spirit of God. Because by Him, by whom you are sealed for the day of, of redemption. Verse 31. Let all what? So does bitterness also grieve the Holy Ghost? Uh, get rid of your bitterness, your anger towards someone i got no time to be angry. I can't even afford one second of anger in terms of where I am in God right now. My biggest enemy I will love and show honor, deference, and respect for. Why? I, got, I can't afford to, in my heart, entertain any measure of disrespect, any measure of bitterness um, towards somebody. Right? It's too costly today. Especially after you've heard, it's too costly. Forgive the person. Release the person. No more bitterness. Bitterness and wrath. Everyone say wrath. You know, wrath is is mentioned together with anger here in this verse. And two different Greek words um, are used generally. Um, Wrath is the outcome of, it's a more severe expression of the anger. The anger provides wrath a context from which to, to express itself. Right? I don't want to go into the theology here. It's a separate study altogether. But just generally, wrath is defined as violent outbursts of fierce indignation. Anybody there? Anybody there? Violent outbursts of fierce indignation. Guess what you've just done to the Holy Ghost? Remember the Holy Ghost is a dove, likened unto a dove. Not so? As a dove appeared on Jesus bodily. Doves are very sensitive. They'll come close, but if you 
are aggressive towards them, they fly away. Next time you have your violent outburst of anger, just picture this. Holy Ghost say, fly away, yeah? Because that spirit, that character is so antagonistic to my sensitivity and everything I stand for. Listen, he will never leave you because he's with you forever. The Bible teaches this. But you can quench his operation in your life by specific dispositions. Okay? Clamor. Right? Clamor is a public outcry, usually over some controversy, tumult, or sorrow. Uncontrolled outcry. Very similar to wrath. Slander is blasphemous. Blasphemous or abusive speech against someone with an intent to ruin the reputation. Blasphemous or abusive speech against someone with a very clear intent to bring ruination to their reputation. And then he says malice. Malice is evil speaking with a clear intent to do harm. All of this. Now, I'm amazed at how much emphasis is on words here. What we say, how we, how we speak. All of these can reduce the effect of the Holy Ghost. Now, many of these sins relate to our speaking, like I said. But instead of this whole list above that grieves the Holy Ghost, how does Paul end this dialogue, this conversation rather? He says, but be what? Be, be kind. When last did you practice kindness? Right? You know what kindness is? The Greek word krestio or krestos literally means Profitable or good for use. It also denotes a gentle spirit, a virtuous spirit. Instead of the others, be kind, practice profitability. How profitable are you to another? When we say acts of kindness, it usually implies you're giving to help another. You're kind. Right? Be kind one to another and tender-hearted. Some of us are so harsh-hearted. What about the tenderness in you? Right? When last were you tender? Huh? Maybe that's why you're not getting the tender that you applied for. Huh? Maybe the Holy Ghost is not helping you there because He's looking for... You know, the world, the opposite is... The world system is push, be brash to get ahead. God's economy is tender-hearted, kind, because that's the nature of the Holy Ghost. And when that kicks in, His help kicks in for, for you. Be kind and be tender-hearted. The Greek word for tender-hearted is full of compassion and mercy. And here's the key thing, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So one way not to grieve the Holy Ghost is to live in a culture of for forgiveness live in a culture of forgiveness just quickly turn to first thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 i'm going to quickly run through this first thessalonians 12 5 and verse 12 onwards we're going to eventually reach an instruction here where paul says do not quench the spirit it's different you grieve the holy ghost in ephesians 4 but in first thessalonians 5 he speaks about quenching the spirit grieving the holy ghost is to cause him sadness or Sorrow, quenching the Holy Ghost, the Greek word quench, we use it in English when you say quench a fire, put the fire out, right, quench it. So it literally means to extinguish. This is serious to me. I can extinguish the Holy Ghost. It says quench, strictly translated, extinguish, do not quench the Spirit. I can extinguish. The word also implies to repress. Hold you down. Not going to work here. It also means to hinder or to halt, right? So we're going to come to that instruction. But I want you to see is what things contextually in the Bible will allow you to quench the Holy Ghost, to quench the very help that you are wanting. Verse 12, but we request of you, brethren, watch, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. Who's that? That's your spiritual father. In this context, it would be me. Forgive me for drawing myself into this, but I just need to be plain today. 
Because sometimes we're so abstract, we don't see what the Scripture is saying. It says, watch, we request of you, brethren, listen carefully, that you appreciate, in other words, holy and high esteem. Just put the Amplified if you can for this. We'll come back to NASB in a moment. We beseech you, brethren, get to know those who labor among you. Watch. Recognize them for what they are and acknowledge and carry on. And hold them in very high and the most affectionate esteem. It's not just esteem, it's affectionate esteem. It's loving esteem. Right? Hold them in affectionate esteem in intelligent and sympathetic appreciation for their or of their work and then be at peace amongst yourselves you know what i don't have time to explain this now when you fulfill this part this part will be automatic there will be peace amongst yourselves when there's a correct mindset in reference to leadership go back to the nasb verse 12 We request of you, brethren, appreciate those who diligently labor among you, have charge over you in the Lord, and instruct you. You know what is a thing that we taught over the years, but I see semblances of it here amongst us. Because I am your leader, I'm among you. Everyone say among you. People forget I'm also over you. The amongness of your leader within the group of you. I'm your friend. But I'm also your father. I'm among you, but I'm also over you. I'm also accountable to you. And sometimes camaraderie of the amongness of the leader in his people can the, the fraternity about that can what's the what's the phrase I'm looking for? Familiarity breeds contempt. So because he's among you. You, and because of his nature and his person, of his amongness, you fail to see his overness. Right? He who is among you is also over you in the Lord. So that's why Paul had to tell these Thessalonians, appreciate them because, and respect them because of their labor. Because why? They give you instruction. So in my WhatsApp, I said to you, obey the Lord. In reading Isaiah 63, which I hope you did. If you didn't obey, woe to you. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> but I'm serious. Some of you had fobbed or so Randolph said, but I tell you, if God personally came to your room that night and said, um, Andy, Isaiah 63, tonight before, before you sleep, it's urgent. Read it and lodge it into your spirit. It'll respond. But because the man represents the Lord, we know him. He's among us, but we forgot he's actually over us. Listen carefully. Little things like this quench the spirit. You've just, if you disrespect your leader, you know what you've done to the Holy Ghost. Put the fire out. You've extinguished, you've repressed. Right? Right? He's going to come to that in a moment. So tell you about appreciate your leader. I, I say this all the time. I tell my mind, in reference to Pastor Thamo and Marola and I do, so, the mind of Randolph Barnwell, I tell, my, my spirit tells the mind of my soul, you will not dishonor them. You will not disrespect them. There's a line that you will not cross, and that's the line of dishonoring those. And you know, my father in the Lord is so loving, caring, he's our friend, he hangs out. But we never ever let that perception of his, of his personality love it. We never ever make, it blind, make us blind to the fact, hey, in God's economy, he's positioned over us to watch over our, watch over our souls. Okay? It's very important. Otherwise, there'll be no peace amongst yourselves, as it says later. Okay? So I want to encourage you. It's vital. These things are keys. Okay? Let's go on. You esteem them very highly in love because of their word. So the estimation must be in love by virtue of what they do. By virtue of what they do. Let me just say this to you. Your grace carrier is the most important asset in your community. Yes or no? Yes? 
What's the most valuable thing in this room right now? It'll be the voice of God speaking through a man to you. It's not stuff. We've got a lot of stuff here. But the thing of value that's most precious is the medium through which the voice of the Lord is coming. And the, this, this text says, you must love them and esteem them very highly. Why? They have a work to do. So make their work easy. Don't make it more harder than it should be. Make it easier. Then it says, live in peace with one another. So in, in my WhatsApp text to you, so a lack of honor for spiritual leaders. Look at the next verse. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with? Be patient with everyone. Next verse. No one must repay. See to it that no one repays one another with evil for evil. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He did this to me, I will do that to him. Right? But always seek after that which is good for one another and for all, for all people. Seek for that which is good and for one another, which is for all people. So if you're paying back evil for evil, or if your disposition is they deserve that based upon what they've done, I'm going to quench the Holy Ghost. Because that's not the spirit of Christ. That sometimes you, 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 you have to go out of your way not to, to respond based on the deservedness of the context that you're administering. But let me just say this. Who knows for those two chips? If this would be the only demonstration of the love of God in their lives. Who knows down the line the Holy Ghost won't bring back to the remembrance. When you are most undeserving. When you are caught in your lies. The goodness of God was still abundantly displayed to you. Who knows that some seed of divinity was installed into their lives. Sometimes we only do good to those who do good to us. We only show favors to those who favor us. But go out of your way to bless those that are most undeserving and see the favor of God upon your life. Let's go on. I'm nowhere near where I think what I thought we are going to teach today. Okay, but time has just gone. It says rejoice. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. So the absence of joy and prayerlessness are things that can quench the Holy Ghost. If you're not praying, obviously, prayer is very important to facilitate the will of the Lord in a particular context. So prayerlessness, did you know prayerlessness is sin? Because you're instructed to, to pray. Right? Not to pray is a violation of a clear command of the Lord. Okay? And so Samuel said, I will not sin against the Lord by not praying for you. That's what Samuel said. Check it out. I will not sin against the Lord by not praying for you. So prayer is important. Listen carefully. He can do as much as you are praying. The Holy Ghost can do only as much as you are supporting His endeavors in prayer. Because He is a praying Holy Ghost. Remember I said to you, how does He help? I went this the details of His help last week. He helps your praying through intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. Right? For we know not how to pray as we ought. So praise the context that He comes alongside you and fuels your, 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 your desire to see the purposes of the Lord done within your life. I've been so challenged about prayer recently. The Lord said to me, and I know I've been too busy. God like smote me this week. Too busy. Good things, but too busy. Pushing my butt. Do it only as far as your prayer life allows for it. Never let your busyness erode into your quality time with, with God in prayer. That is the base. That's the found foundation of, of everything else. Okay? Don't be too busy that you don't have time to pray. Okay? Was it, was it one of the great reformers said, I've so, got so much to do that I have to spend the first three hours of every day in prayer. Oh, that's it. It's like, uh, what they call it? Any case. I have so much to do. You would think the latter part of the statement. I have so much to do, I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. He realized that my effectiveness in the much to do-ness is fueled by my time with God in prayer. 
because it's not left up to you. And I want to encourage all of us, leaders especially, spend time with God. You'll get more done in your department of area of leadership when it emits from quality time with Him than from just the routine of being busy. Okay? Then it says, watch. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So ingratitude quenches the spirit. Ungratefulness, unthankfulness quenches the spirit. Next one, verse. Do not quench the spirit. Do not extinguish. Put the spirit out. Right? Do not quench the, the spirit. Next verse. Do not despise prophetic utterances. So despising of prophetic utterances quenches the spirit. Verse 21, last one. Examine all things, sorry, examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Last verse. Abstain from every form of evil. Now this is where I think many of us are failing. We are not just to abstain from evil. We are apt to abstain from forms of evil. It's not just the evil that you must keep away from. It's the appearance. King James says, the, even the appearance of it, you say, no way, Jose. I'm not even coming close to if it smells evil, if it looks evil. Sometimes you don't even have to have discernment. The signs are staring you in the face. You say, bye-bye, that line I'm not crossing. I'm going to abstain. You know what the word abstain means? Just tell your neighbor what the word abstain means. Quickly tell each other. Tell each other what the word abstain means. It means abstain. <laughs> it means keep away. It means don't try it and think after trying it you'll get out of it. It means there's a line. Don't even taste it. Don't even touch it. Don't accommodate it. Don't derive entertainment value from it. Don't let it entertain you. If God abhors it, why must it entertain you? Don't, de- don't, don't, don't touch it. Right? Dr. Sigi ministered a word recently called uncommon standards. Daniel in Babylon, for example. Joseph in, in Egypt. These guys were greatly used by God. But you know what they were very careful about? They were careful about not defiling themselves. Keeping themselves Daniel said, I'm not eating meat from the king's table. Joseph said to Potiphar's wife to try to deceive him. That's a wicked thing you suggested. I will not do wicked things. You've got to draw the line in the sand more sharply and say, I'm not going to taste and test. That line I'm not even crossing. I'm going to abstain from not just evil, but if there's a form to it, if there's an appearance, a semblance of it, I am not going there. Tell your neighbor, keep yourself pure. 1 Timothy 5.22, I think it is. Tell someone again, keep yourself pure. Right? Look at the King James. Keep yourself free from sin. This last portion. Keep yourself free from sin. Stand with me. I thought we would speak on something else today. I really did, because that's something else I thought would be the focus of today's sermon. But I think this rehearsal, this is only point two. There are about eight points I have in this message. Point two is don't grieve. If God is your help, if He's going to deliver you from six troubles, from seven, evil will not touch you. If the facilitator of the help of God is going to be your portion, a very present help in the time of trouble, time of need, the eukairos, the opportune time, then you must be aware of Him, the person of help. Don't grieve Him, don't quench Him. Tell someone next to you, don't grieve Him, don't quench Him. Two things you must remember throughout this week. Say, say Holy Ghost, I'm not going to grieve you, I'm not going to quench you. I will encourage you, in fact, I dare to say, because the Bible uses the word, I instruct you. The Bible says, they give instructions. Sometimes we tread too softly over the. I instruct you to read Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, this whole week. Just read it. You know, the thing about the scriptures, you've got to reread. You've got to redo it over. You've got to reread. You've got to rehear until it's so forced. Look at it. Stay at the scripture. Abstain from evil. 
Look at it. Memorize it. Lodge it into your spirit. So when evil comes, you already got the principle that says no way. No way. He is precious. He's a person. He's the paracletos, the comforter. You know what most versions of the Bible say? Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you another comforter, a helper. The help is to break your orphanity. The help is to, 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 to lead you into sonship. Yeah? Sons know their father. Just while you're standing, just put Isaiah a look. You can carry on playing. Did you hear me? Isaiah 63. I want you to see this. I asked you to read this um, in the week, but just just to for the record, because these uh, these sermons are going on the on the site, etc. So I want the world to hear this. In Isaiah 63, God is bent on vengeance of the nations, and He said there was no one to help. So I, God, He says, I will help. I will. Ensure that my purpose is done. And then from verse 10, Isaiah 63 verse 10, concerning His people, it says, But they rebelled and they grieved His Holy Spirit. Therefore He turned Himself to become their enemy and to fight against them. How can the very thing designed to help you turn against you? God says He was designed to help, but they rebelled. Your rebellion grieves the Holy Ghost. And he turns and he becomes your enemy rather than your helper. In verse 12, verse 12 says, He brought, he fought against them. Then his people remembered the days of old. Who remembers the days of old? Whose conversation is when God used to move? Whose conversation is when things used to happen? When there was miracles? Who remembers the days of old? They say we remember the days of old. Right? Verse 11. Verse we on. Verse 11. He fought against them. Am I in the wrong? Just go back to verse 10. Yeah. He fought against them. Verse 11. Then his people remember the days of old, of Moses. Those times when Moses led them with a the mighty hand. Where is he who brought them up from out of the sea? Which shepherds, the shepherds of his flock. Where's this Moses anointing? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the? Did you know in the old covenant, the Holy Spirit was in the midst of them journey? According to this verse. It says, where was that help? That the agency of the Holy Ghost in the midst of all of them. Moses did mighty works. But guess who's through whose power he was working? Holy Ghost. Look at the next verse. Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses. Remember Moses had his staff in his right hand. And so when Moses did this, who was next to the right hand of Moses? Everyone say the glorious arm. There was a glorious arm next to the right hand. Causing mighty works to be done. Right? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name. Verse 13. Who led them through the depths like the horse in the wilderness. They did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led them. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Don't rebel and grieve the Holy Ghost. It is He that's going to bring His glorious arm prophesied to you. The Lord will bring His glorious arm. The Bible says the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Right? But listen carefully. It's the glorious arm of the Lord next to the right hand of your leader. Moses in context is a leader. To a people rebellious, God says, you, you squash, you quench, you frustrate, you grieve that whole economy. You rebel. So the thing designed for your aid turns against you. The Holy Spirit is in your midst and He wants to bring you to a place of total rest. As you leave today, and as you live your life throughout this week, 
please be aware of him. Help's going to come through him. He's going to break off vanity. He'll lead you into confidence. I don't know about you, but I'm expecting overt, mighty displays of help. Amen? Glorious, mighty, glorious arm, mighty deliverance. Person of the Holy Spirit. Just lift up your hands. Say to him, Holy Spirit, I love you. Come on, talk to him. Say, Holy Spirit, I love you. Say, Holy Spirit, I esteem you. I worship you. I adore you. Thank you that you are my helper. Forgive me whenever I have grieved you. Forgive me whenever I have quenched you. I receive your forgiveness. I thank you that you are in me to grant help to me. To make me the son of God I am called to be. Even now I ask you, Holy Spirit, move your glorious arm along the right hand of my leader so that in the midst of the assembly of the saints we would know the glorious help of God. I thank you for marvelous help. I thank you for present help in the time of my trouble. Right now, even go ahead and bring resolution to vexing problems that assail me. I receive your help by faith now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. 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 You may be seated.